Hello and welcome to Pod Rocket. Today I'm here with Nick Thompson,、um, who is the creator of a really cool audio tool called Elementary Audio. And、um, this is a special episode because it's our first ever video episode. We're going to be posting video from this episode on YouTube, but of course,、um, audio will continue to live wherever you get your podcasts normally. And、um, we may have some video-only content here, so. If you're listening to the podcast on audio, we will put a link to the YouTube、um, for any kind of parts of the episode that are video focused, so that you can check those out. But hey,、uh, how you doing, Nick? Good, happy to be here. So you know, really excited to learn about what you're building.、Um, I know very little about audio,、uh, you know, audio engineering or digital signal processing or any of these things. So I'm extra excited to learn from you. Great. That's a、uh, you're you are right in my target audience, so that's great. <laughs> so, could you give us a quick overview of、um, what Elementary is? Sure. So,、um, Elementary is a new JavaScript runtime for writing native audio applications, and it's based on Node.js. So,、um, what you write kind of to work with Elementary looks a lot like what you would write to work with. Um, Node.js, so you can use npm install, you know the whole npm package ecosystem, etc. But when you invoke your application, you invoke it with the elementary command line tool instead of the Node.js command line tool. And so the primary difference is that when you work inside elementary, there is basically a a native module,、um, you know, specific to elementary that. Is able to interact with your JavaScript code on the front end and a real-time native audio rendering engine on the back end. So you work in JavaScript, but you can use this application to ship, you know, native audio software. And the the heart of the project is something you can embed in, you know, native audio applications in custom native stacks if you have, you know, that type of application. And when you say like writing audio software, are we talking about like editing audio samples, or are we talking about digital music production, or both? What are kind of some of the common applications you see? Sure. So、um, I think that this can cover all sorts of different audio applications, like all of the types that you just mentioned. I think that you can do with Elementary.、Um, I'm personally kind of coming at it from the digital music production realm. Um, before I started this project, I started a company to make and sell audio plugins for、uh, you know computer musicians, and that that was kind of what prompted this project. Actually, was just the process for building those products and getting them out in the market、um, is difficult, takes a long time,、uh, you know, easy to get wrong.、Um, And before I got into that field, I was a front-end web developer for several years,、uh, and I really missed the the speed and the tooling and the workflow that you have in that environment. So,、um, so anyways, kind of a tangent, but yes, you can handle all kinds of audio software, real-time, you know, digital music production.、Um, I have somebody who already who's interested in in working on kind of like a A digital guitar pedal, you know, picture like a guitar pedal with your, you know, quarter ins and outs, but where the DSP is actually running、um, by Elementary, which is going to be cool. So it can do a lot. And typically, this kind of software will be written 
in what, like C++, or is that where a lot of the library support is? Yeah, definitely. And so what are the advantages of being able to write audio software in JavaScript? Uh, I, I guess I, I look at it, um, <laughs> maybe this is, maybe this is the, the pessimistic way of looking at it, but um, in, in large part, I see the advantages as avoiding the disadvantages of working in C++. Um, and to be honest, I think that the kind of standard approach to building audio software in C++, uh, insofar as my experience has shown me, um, leaves developers to solve the same types of problems over and over again um, in ways that I don't think we really have to. Um, you know, for example, like, <clears throat> we spend a lot of time building um, native audio processors that want to uh, filter a signal in some way or generate a signal in some way or read from a file in some way. And as soon as you kind of kick that can of worms open in C++ land, you have to deal with multi-threading, um, you know, lock-free interaction with the real-time rendering thread. Uh, you really want like deterministic operations to happen, like strictly deterministic on the real-time rendering threads. So you have to be very careful about memory allocations and deallocations. And this problem kind of compounds pretty quickly. Um, and I have not so far seen a lot of C++ solutions that kind of generically solve this once and for all. Um, so for my own products and for companies that I've worked with, I found myself kind of like rewriting the same code to solve the same set of problems. And it's, these are tricky problems also, like it takes a lot of time. So, <laughs> sorry, I'm rambling. But uh, in a lot of ways, I think, um, JavaScript has advantages here because we can work in a way that feels much more like React. You can work in a way um, that has this dynamic, you know, low barrier to entry language with this huge tooling ecosystem um, where you can work with, with like a declarative expression of what you ultimately want the sound to be um, and kind of leave the rest to the elementary engine. Yeah, so maybe on that note, um, can we jump into a demo and take a look at what it actually looks like to you know, write, write some audio in elementary? Yeah, let's jump in. Hi, listeners. This is Kate, the producer of Prod Rocket. For the next few minutes, Nick is going to show us a demo of elementary. If you'd like to watch the demo, you can go to the LawRocket YouTube channel to check out the video demo. You can find the link to our YouTube channel in the show notes. If you would like to skip the demo, please fast forward to about the 19 minute mark. Thanks. So I want to start with a, like, basically a, a hello world of working in audio. And so as I mentioned, this is going to be a lot like working in uh, Node.js, right? So to start, we just open up a JavaScript file. So to do that, we use the library function here, el.cycle, which will generate a sign tone here at 440 hertz. Then I use the el.train library method, which will generate a pulse signal, which is a signal that goes from 0 to 1, then back to 0, um, and then repeats at whatever uh, frequency you specify. So here I'm going to run that signal at 2 hertz. That signal will trigger, will trigger uh, an envelope generator. And if you don't know, you know, if you move to audio, envelope generator will be a foreign word to you. Maybe many of what I've said already will be a foreign word to you. Um, but this generator is just a way to 
sort of smoothly get from zero amplitude, which is silent, up to an amplitude of one, which is um, kind of as loud as the incoming signal is going to be by the time we're at one, because it's at the end of the day, we're going to multiply this envelope by the sine tone. Um, and so at a gain value of one, it's just the identity function. So the envelope will go smoothly from zero to one and then back down to zero over time. And this will be triggered every time our gate signal goes from zero to one. So um, all you need to know really is that we'll, we're approaching a just a pinging tone sound very simply. So we've put that together and then here is the primary kind of uh, render step. And this should feel a lot like React. So I'm describing what I want my signal to be and then I'm asking elementary to render that signal. So just starting with that, if I then invoke this from the command line, just like you would with the Node.js script, we should hear our pinging tone. Make sense so far? Yep. Let's go, let's take this one step further, but definitely stop me if I am failing to explain any of these things uh, adequately. What I want to show here is kind of a series of examples that arrives at um, a way of synthesizing like a kick drum sound. Think like um, kind of like a techno song with that like classic duh, 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 right? Um, so synthesizing that is actually a pretty uh, simple exercise. And I think it's, it's fitting for a short podcast. Um, so we're going to go kind of step by step on that route. So to get there, we have this pinging sign tone, right? And now a lot of like a very simple way of synthesizing this type of kick drum sound is to get that, that tone every time it starts to sweep down from a higher pitch. So what I'm doing here is we have the same gate that we started with last time. So this is going to trigger at the same rate, fire one. We have our same uh, amplitude contour. So this is what gives it the, the, each kind of instance of the kick drum. And then we have another envelope, exactly the same like signal function, but this time we're going to use it to, to modulate the pitch that the sine tone is running at. So then we're going to generate our tone. And to do this, we take our same sine tone. But instead of just running at 440 hertz like we were last time, we're going to add to that 440 hertz. The result of multiplying our pitch envelope, basically so that it will go from uh, five times 440 hertz down to 440 hertz itself very quickly. And then we take the result there. We multiply the, the, that tone via um, the, the volume envelope, and we ask elementary to render it. So running this example, we're going to expect to hear like a pinging sine tone, but each, each time it pings, it's going to have this kind of like chirp at the beginning. Does that make sense? Yeah, so you can kind of hear, I was going to say, like you can kind of hear a bit more of the attack there, it sounds like. Yeah, exactly. And so we can like, for example... Um, opening that same file back up, we have our pitch envelope, right? And the way this function works, the ADSR, this is a common um, kind of abstraction for, for envelope generators in DSP. So this is the term ADSR, it's something you could Google. 
um, and read all about. But in general, we have like this first argument would be the time it takes to get from zero to one, the attack phase of the sound. Then the next the next value is the decay. This will be the time that it takes to get back down from one to some sustained value. That's the S in ADSR. Um, and then we're going to hold at that sustained value until the gate releases, basically. And you can think of this as lifting your finger off of a piano key. Um, and then the envelope will kind of ring out slowly back to zero. So we're using this to modulate the pitch of the sine tone, uh, which means that we can just come in here and like tweak some values. For example, um, we have a, a quick attack on the pitch envelope. And if we change the decay time now, I'm going from 10 milliseconds here to 100 milliseconds. This might not be a terribly drastic change, but let's see what that sounds like. So now the chirp is kind of takes a little bit longer time. Um, okay, so example number three. This is really the same thing that I just showed you, but we're going to take that whole process and just move it down to a lower pitch. Um, so all of these, you know, the, the idea of all of the envelope generators that we just worked through, that's all going to stay the same. The tone that we started with was pri uh, previously running at 440 hertz with this sweep down from, you know, five times 440 hertz. I'm going to pull that down to 34 hertz um, because here we're getting into kind of like the sub-bass range. And so as we sweep down, we're going to get kind of the, the chirp or the click of our kick drum, and then it should kind of like ring through with a brief sub uh, sound. And then the last thing that I've changed here is I'm taking that sound and I'm just saturating it slightly. This is like a subtle distortion. You could think like a guitar pedal type distortion um, just to give it a little bit more character. So with just those few changes, we should hear something more like a consistent techno kick drum. So that's kind of, that is like the, the basic example of uh, a really quick walkthrough from kind of hello world to synthesizing a sound that should hopefully be somewhat familiar. Um, and I have two more examples if you want to go into it. We can skip them if you don't want to, but kind of uh, leaping from hello, war, hello world and kick drums to kind of a, a more complete um, kind of drum kit synthesis. What do you think? Go that, go there or, or skip it? Yeah, let's check it out. <clears throat> All right. So I'm going to skip ahead um, away from just uh, kick drum synthesis. And I'm going to show you really briefly here what it looks like to interact with MIDI. So I have a MIDI keyboard next to me. Um, and as I'm pressing notes on the keyboard, I want to trigger drum samples. And these drum samples are all going to be synthesized in the same style that we just uh, discussed. So I have um, a kick drum, a clap sound, and a hi-hop. And I want to show you down here, this is where elementary, I think, gets really interesting. So after the load event, we install a MIDI event handler. And when we receive a MIDI event, I have this function here, update voice state. And... In a lot of ways, you can think about this kind of being like, um, are you guys familiar with in React and Redux, you have this kind of notion of like uh, dispatching actions and then the stores have their reducers to update state. 
and then the components listen to the stores, right? So this is really similar. Um, so when we receive a MIDI event, I want to update some notion of, of kind of the, the application state. And then I want to use that state to render a new view of my application in a sense, except here the view is the description of the DSP. And when, once I have my new description of the DSP, I can just pass that to the render function just like you would do with React. And elementary under the hood will, uh, just like React, diff the current state and the future state and make sure that we only make the necessary operations to get the underlying runtime uh, to make those sounds. So really quickly, update voice state. When we get a MIDI note, we're just going to look at this voices array to see if the note we're receiving um, matches the MIDI note number in our map here. So I only want to interact with MIDI note numbers 60, 61, and 62. When I when we get that MIDI event, we'll find, for example, like you know, if I push MIDI note 60, then I want to go right into that voices array, a new gate value. This is going to be one and zero, just like the, the trigger for our previous example. Um, and if, if you're letting go of the key, I'm going to go find that same note and, and set the gate to zero. So this is your on and your off. And once the state has finished updating, this is the this right here is like the whole rendering pipeline, right? So we just look through each of the voices in our map, uh, and we invoke their their function with uh, with their new state, whether or not they're going to be on or off. Pass that to core render, and if we run this. So we're not going to hear anything until I start pushing keys, right? That should be a kick drum. You hearing that? Yep. So right there in like, you know, I don't know what that was, 50 lines of JavaScript or something, we have an interactive example with totally synthesized elements all in JavaScript. And each of those elements are synthesized just kind of the same way that we, we walked through with the kick drum. Um, and actually, this whole library is available as an NPM package if you want to like NPM install and, and tweak your own uh, you know, application with it. So with that, I just wanted to show basically MIDI handling and the render step, how the render step can take a new description of the tree and get from A to B. Um, and that's it. And that's the example. Yeah. I mean, this is awesome and especially cool to see how much you can do with so few lines of code. So I'm curious, like we talked about replicating the sound of a kick drum. If you were to think about replicating a different sound, I don't know, a violin string or a trombone or like any instrument, what would be your process to take a sound sample and figure out how to replicate it in code? I mean, there are whole fields of research <laughs> that go into answering that question. And I very particularly chose a kick drum because there is like a, a sort of um, well-known kind of accepted approach for synthesizing a kick drum. And that's what I showed you. Um, and actually, I, I even simplified it further. So, you know, if you were to go get kind of an analog drum synthesizer um, at a guitar center or something like that, it's probably doing something more complicated than what I just showed you to try to simulate the sound of a kick drum. Um, and there are like 
totally whole fields of research going into like how we can try to recreate the sound of a violin string accurately uh, using DSP. And I'm definitely the wrong person <laughs> to ask on that. So my process, honestly, is if, if I'm interested in synthesizing something, um, I just start with Googling it. I, I go out and I read about the existing research. Um, and often the research is pretty intense, um, really interesting to read, but I don't know that, uh, like some of it's even over my head, right? And so sometimes I like, find research that I'm interested in and use that to sort of as inspiration for guiding my own synthesis approach um, and see if I can get something that I am happy with, whether or not that is close to what I was going with, going for. Got it. So not, not an easy answer there, but it, it's yeah. good to see at least that like, I, I imagine the, you know, previous articles or, or code staples that have been written for kind of the, the C++ tools you could probably translate those fairly easily into what you're doing in JavaScript, right? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, and actually I'm finding it, uh, even more, um, I'm, I'm finding it more enjoyable actually to write it in JavaScript. So for example, one of the library features that you'll find in elementary is, um, an anti-alias sawtooth uh, oscillator. And basically that's just, um, an oscillator that has this really sharp kind of uh, aggressive sound, but will intentionally try to avoid aliasing in the digital audio spectrum, which is a whole conversation that we don't need to get into. But um, as I was, you know, as I've written stuff in C++, I've written the uh, this approach in C++, and this particular approach that's in, in the elementary library is called polyglot. Um, and I've written in C++, it's not so bad in C++, it's pretty easy, but I rewrote it in JavaScript using elementary uh, to add it to the library. And it just felt far more intuitive to me to think in that, because not only um, am I working in JavaScript in elementary, but the declarative way of expressing these things to me feels much more intuitive. So um, yeah, I don't know, it's, it's been an interesting process. One thing I was curious about, you know, when I saw you writing, um, you know, writing the code and you were working in Vim, any thoughts on like whether in the future there might be an IDE for writing code in elementary? Like it strikes me as the kind of thing where having an IDE that gives you, you know, qu ways to quickly listen to just certain effects or to dr you know, drag, drag a slider and hear how it changes the sound, like some of those things could be really cool at an IDE and make a programmer much more productive. Is that something you've ever thought about? Yeah, absolutely. Um, some of the work that I'm hoping to get into this fall is <clears throat> basically building, I don't know, if, I don't know if it's, if an IDE is the right word for it, but either building out um, like a desktop application environment for working in this kind of, in this kind of way. Um, it'll either be a desktop app, or a plugin that loads inside of your, uh, you know, DAW. This is like the the environment that you might use to write music. Um, that I think is a really interesting and exciting avenue. And actually, for my own uh, kind of as I'm hacking on this myself, I actually have a plugin already that I use locally that will, you know, run spin up inside of my DAW and read Elementary that I've written on my computer and and process in real time inside the DAW. Um, and I've added little sliders for real time manipulation and stuff. 
Um, and that is such a cool workflow. So yes, absolutely. I mean, I, I think you're spot on and, and I definitely want to be able to, to offer something like that in the near future. And maybe this is a good segue into understanding like, what is the current state of elementary? What, what kind of broadly things can you do? And then what can't you do that, you know, in the future you'd like to be able to, you'd like to build? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so there are a few features that are, are kind of missing from elementary right now that um, I think really need to be there for this to be a viable DSP platform. The, the first major one is feedback loops. So um, a lot of DSP involves feedback loops and a lot of creative uses of DSP um, involve feedback loops. And you can find that in you know modular synthesis videos on YouTube stuff, just like creative ways of applying feedback is a whole awesome field of exploration. Um, and right now, elementary does not have sort of a generic notion of feedback. Um, there is a delay element that you can use that can feedback into itself, which is helpful for you know kind of like a quick implementation of an echo, for example. Um, but feedback in general, in the general case is something that I, I plan to get to soon. I mean, it's it's designed, it's kind of solved, but uh, I haven't implemented it. That's kind of number one. And then number two, I'm really looking forward to hosting VST plugins inside of elementary itself. Um, I think that'll be a really neat situation when it gets there. And, and from an architecture perspective, is elementary built on top of, or, or Explain to me, like, how is the elementary architected? Like, what what is uh, under the hood in terms of the native code that powers the DSP? Yeah, so, uh, I mean, at the end of the day, like, much of what elementary is is, is Node.js. Um, and so you can sort of think of it as Node.js with this, like, custom native node add-on, right? Um, and the add-on is all C++ that I've written up from scratch, that will open up the audio driver, uh, you know, on your machine and start working with rendering real-time audio buffers. Um, and then there's this kind of layer that happens inside the native piece for, you know, the the render step has happened in JavaScript. We have this new desired state that we have to get to, um, and there's this kind of like middleman layer for getting there and and making the real-time rendering thread aware of these changes in such a way that um, you know, you don't have to worry about memory management at the end of the day. Uh, you don't have to worry about like smooth transitions um, for, for like the way that the audio is changing on the real-time thread, stuff like that. So that's kind of the, the architecture in 30 seconds. <laughs> yeah, and the, the reason I was curious is I, I imagine elementary couldn't run in a browser today, but is there a future where you know, maybe it's possible, especially with like WebAssembly, you know, could this be ported to, to run in or some or all of the functionality run in a browser? Yes. In fact, it's funny that you say that because elementary can run in a browser as of today. <laughs> okay, then I'm wrong. And so what is the, how, how did, how did you, has it worked in the browser from day one or did you have to port it over? And I'm, I'm curious if you did use WebAssembly or what kind of APIs you use. Yep, yep. So uh, it did not work in the browser from day one, um, but it was always part of the design that it would be able to work in the browser. Um, 
And so this is more just an, a way, an artifact of like the way that I've structured the, the code repository ultimately. There's kind of like the brains that handles the DSP, the brains that handles like interacting with Node.js, and then kind of that middleman brain for, you know, the go-between. Um, and so the, the DSP piece of this um, is really quite portable. And that piece I have compiled to walk through, uh, compiled into Wasm. Wasm loads up kind of inside the web audio API, um, and then elementary can speak to that. Basically, the whole runtime lives inside you know a single web audio node, um, and elementary can speak to that. So that's an exciting feature that that will be publicly available pretty soon. But um, I want to get basically a, a playground up on the website where you can go write elementary, hit run in your browser, and hear it right there through the web audio API. That that would that would definitely be awesome. And is can a web browser access a MIDI device? Is there an API for that? Yeah, there's there's the web MIDI spec, um, which I don't have a ton of experience with. Uh, I, I remember finding it years ago when I was kind of more into the web audio API, um, and I haven't I haven't looked at it the way that it will integrate with Elementary yet. But it's kind of an orthogonal piece. I mean, as long as the as long as you're getting some kind of like event callback from the web MIDI API. You could just call, you know, elementary.core.render again after doing your Reduxy state stuff. And aside from running either at the command line or the browser, I think you mentioned earlier, like, um, you know, guitar pedals or a DAW plugin, like kind of where is the, the other places that you see this running and being useful? Yeah, totally. The, so in a lot of ways, like the, the browser and web audio or the command line tool that you can use uh, today for running for running your code are kind of like hosts or harnesses for the, the core runtime. And the core runtime is totally designed to be lifted out of either of those harnesses and, and embedded wherever you want it to go. And so um, I also mentioned the plugin that I have locally for kind of hacking with elementary inside of my DAW. Um, that is a, a, an application of embedding the elementary runtime in a in kind of a target stack. Um, and so I could see this going all, all kinds of places. Um, I would, I'm personally really excited for when it's kind of more broadly available inside of plugins. I would love to see this run natively inside of DAW itself, which you could totally do, um, or inside some, some native hardware. I mean, that guitar pedal is a great example. Um, there's a lot of synthesizers these days, like analog synthesizers, which do some of their... Uh, you know, some of their synthesis or some of their effects digitally in a DSP chip that lives inside the board, things like that. I'd love to see it start to reach places like that. And um, elementary is on GitHub. It's open source, right? Parts of it. Well, actually, this is a good question uh, <laughs> because I'm getting this question a lot. <laughs> My goal is to be able to open source parts of elementary. And there's, there's a couple of pieces that I feel are, are pretty ready to be open sourced, like the, the library, a lot of that code is, um, you know, I feel like that should be out there and I want that to be out there because I, I think that's a good learning experience for, the, for people who are new to DSP. Um, but currently most of elementary is actually closed source and that's sort of a, an ongoing debate that I have in my head. I mean, ultimately my goal is 
to make this as open as I can, but also ideally to build, uh, to build a model around this that uh, allows me to keep working on this and ideally work on it full time. So I'm, I want to, uh, I think, I think basically, you know, right now the core runtime piece that's embeddable, um, will be behind like a commercial licensing model, uh, with the goal of generating enough revenue that I can keep working on this. Um, and sort of as that develops, as I, I hope that develops, <laughs> you know, um, as that develops, I want to kind of make pieces as I can open source um, and get that out there. Because especially, I mean, especially with the way that this interacts already with the Node.js and NPM community, I mean, it's such an awesome community. There's so many active people in that community. Um, and I, I'd love to, to be a part of that. Awesome. Well, Nick, thank you so much for joining us today. I, I've loved learning about elementary and getting a 101 education to audio uh, audio coding and DSP. So this has been great. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening to Pod Rocket. Find us at pod rocket pod on twitter or you could always email me even though that's not a popular option it's brian at log rocket